You may be seated, which take your Bibles and turn to the book of Romans, chapter 8. The book of Romans, chapter 8 in your Bible this morning. Romans, chapter 8 in your Bible today. Uh, Romans, chapter 8 uh, is fantastic, and it, it reminds me of this reality. I really like freedom. Now, I'm not talking about when I say that, I know many of you are thinking like, oh, he likes American freedom, which don't get me wrong, I love, but that's not the freedom that I like, uh, that I'm talking about today. I do like it. I'm not talking about that one right now. I enjoy the freedom of movement. I enjoy the ability to go outside and feel the sunshine and a warm, gentle breeze. Uh, I like to be able to like go and, and just kind of uh, do my thing, go out, come in, and not to be confined. I'm, I'm not a fan of confinement in any way, shape, or form. Uh, let's see, six weeks ago from yesterday, uh, I was in Medellin, Colombia, again on a mission trip, uh, really for a wedding for one of our missionaries. Chesley Howell, who, who was in our church for 12 years, now serving in Columbia. He got married down there. And on Saturday, he had organized a trip for us to go to Guatape, Colombia. And uh, if you don't know where Guatape is, it's that if you still are burdened with Microsoft products, um, it's on your Microsoft screensaver. It's that rock on the screensaver, the really big, beautiful rock. That's Guatape. And we were going to climb that rock, 751 stairs at about 7,000 foot elevation. It was awesome. And uh, that's what we were going to do. Well, uh, we had a, van, a bus that we had rented for all of us that traveled together uh, that were there. There was about 18 of us. And so we were in a bus that we had rented a small bus. And... Um, and we're, we're traveling. Well, when we first got to Columbia that night, it was, we were going to take taxis or Ubers or whatever back to our hotel. And we got a van, uh, uh, a taxi slash van. And um, as we get ready to leave the airport, the driver informs us that the tunnel is closed and we'll have to go around the mountain. Well, I don't really like tunnels. And so I wasn't too concerned about that. And uh, I thought, okay, this is no big deal. Well, to drive around the mountain was rather precarious and it was raining outside and there were steep cliffs on both sides and it was at night. Now it was beautiful. Don't get me wrong. You could see the city and all of that. But I thought, eh, I would have rather went through the tunnel. But I'm thinking of a tunnel like maybe I grew up with in Washington. That's about 50 feet through a mountain or maybe 100 feet uh, or maybe a really big tunnel like if you've been to Hawaii like the H3 tunnel or something like that that you're like okay I can get through that pretty quick no big deal well we go through and I forget about the tunnel I'm not thinking about the tunnel wedding got all kinds of stuff going on I'm, 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 I'm just forgotten about it well, then we leave to go to Guatape. We get in the bus and we leave to go to Guatape. And there's a guy sitting with me and I'm sharing the gospel with him. And we're involved in a really deep message about the gospel of Jesus Christ. Uh, Jesus Christ is the only way to heaven and there's no other way of salvation given among men whereby we must be saved. And that if you don't accept Jesus Christ as your savior, your only uh, outlook is gonna be an eternity in hell separated from God. There is no other hope. And so we talk about that and we're talking about that and we're talking about it really in depth for quite some time and then I look up no lie I look up and we're in a tunnel well I don't like tunnels I'm not a tunnel fan there's a lot of reasons that I don't like tunnels and the big one is I don't want it falling in on me 
Now, I know that you say, well, that's, you know, nobody, why would you worry about that? Well, probably it's not sane to worry about that, but I do worry about that. You say, are you scared of death? I'm not scared of death at all. It's the three days of being trapped in a tunnel that leads to death that bothers me. I don't mind seeing Jesus immediately. I just don't want to wait three days for it to happen. And then we're, we're in this tunnel and I look up and I'm like, oh my word. And so I immediately assess the situation because, you know, I've been taught by our guys in the Marine Corps, you got to adapt and overcome. And I'm trying to figure out how to get out of the tunnel. And we're in this tunnel and come to find out it's a five mile tunnel. It's a five mile tunnel. And I don't know what it is with people in other parts of the world. They don't drive fast. Like a a one-cylinder van. I mean, that thing's just not getting anywhere quickly. And it's a two-lane road in the tunnel. So if the rickshaw in front of me, which is just a beater car in front of us, suddenly stops, then we're stopped. There's no way to go around it. And I'm thinking, oh, this is going to be a bummer. We're going to be stuck in this tunnel for hours if something were to happen. So I immediately stopped and I began to pray. And then I'll be honest with you, I just closed my eyes. And I just had to wait it out to get through the five-mile tunnel. Well, why is that? I like to be free. I like to be able to stop my car and get out. I don't like airplanes. I fly all the time. I don't enjoy airplanes. I don't enjoy getting on airplanes. I don't enjoy sitting on airplanes. The only thing about a plane that I like is getting off. Now, those of you that are pilots here, praise God for you. I think you're weird. Who wants to be in? And probably if I was in control, I'd be much better because my wife tells me I have control issues. I don't really feel like I have control issues. I just have, I'm a man. (laughs) And so we, we, we finally made it through the tunnel. And I love freedom. Now, as you come to Romans chapter 8, it's a fantastic chapter in the Bible. Matter of fact, most commentators would say something like this, that it's the inner sanctuary within the cathedral of Christian faith. Somebody said this, it's the tree of life in the middle of the Garden of Eden. The highest peak in a range of mountains, said another commentator. All these metaphors to extol Romans chapter 8 as the greatest passage within the greatest book, in my opinion, in the entire Bible. If you were to say, Pastor, you're going to be stranded on an island, what one book of the Bible would you take, could, would you take with you? I would tell you the book of Romans. If you were to tell me I could only have one chapter within that book to take with me, I would have to pick chapter 8. Chapter 8 is unparalleled in its beauty, uncompromised in its wonder. It speaks of the Spirit of God, the word pneuma, 21 times, and 19 of those times, it refers to the Holy Spirit every time but two in 15a and 15b. This means that the Holy Spirit is mentioned in this chapter once every two verses. Paul focuses in this book, and I'm sorry, on this chapter, not so much as who the Holy Spirit is, but on what the Holy Spirit does. Not just on who he is, he really doesn't deal a lot with that. That's been established in 1 Corinthians. That's been even established earlier in Romans to some degree. He is focusing in here on what the Holy Spirit of 
God does. If we could sum this chapter up, the entirety of this chapter, if we could sum it up in one word, we would assume we would sum this chapter up in the word assurance. Assurance. The assurance of our salvation, that as believers in Christ, we know that we are saved and we live in a holy confidence that we will one day see Jesus in eternity and for eternity. I read Romans chapter one just a moment ago. If you would draw your attention. There's a word in there that demands our attention again as we work through the context. And for clarification, the paragraph here in Romans, the first paragraph runs all the way through verse number 13, 1 to 13. But the, the, the depths of it are so rich, the heights of it are so high that I've chosen to break it up in some natural points that would break the text so that we could delve deeper into the beauty of this passage Paul says, there are that now, therefore, there's now, therefore, no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus. At the end of the chapter, if you have your Bibles open, you'll look at verses 38 and 39, where Paul says, I'm persuaded that neither death, nor life, nor angels, nor principalities, nor powers, nor things present, nor things to come, nor height, nor depth, nor any other creature shall be able to separate us from the love of God, which is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Now, we dealt with verse 1 some time ago, uh, really at the end of November. So I want to take a moment and we'll look at the word condemnation. The word condemnation is a word that means a, a condemning judgment, a negative verdict that is pronounced. It's where you you've maybe saw in the old movies where a judge would say to a defendant who was found guilty of a first-degree murder, he would say, I condemn you to death. It's a negative judgment or a negative verdict verdict that is pronounced. And Paul says this in, in verse number one, there is therefore now no condemnation. There is no negative verdict pronounced to them who are in Christ Jesus, who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. This is a powerful and a life transforming reality. There is no condemnation. There is no negative judgment, no negative verdict pronounced to the person who is a believer and a follower of Jesus Christ. The believer is not doomed. The believer is not damned, but the believer is freed from the penalty and the condemnation of sin. He's not judged as a sinner, but he's delivered from the negative penalty or the condemnation of death and hell. He is not judged to be unrighteous, but he is actually counted to be righteous. One commentator said this condemnation strongly suggests that Paul is thinking about the believer's deliverance from the penalty that sin exacts. There is a penalty for sin. Make no mistake. There are many believers who think that they will just get barely into heaven and that God has to show them some extra grace. So they live their entire life in this near mortal fear or in... in 
uh, a spirit of uh, just having given up and a spirit of ambivalence. Like there's nothing that I could do. I'm a complete failure. Maybe God will accept me into heaven. Maybe God won't accept me into heaven. I've put my faith and trust in Christ, but I don't think I'm good enough to merit God's favor at all, which none of us are. But we get this feeling, we begin to get overwhelmed and burdened and we begin to think, I don't even think God loves me anymore. No, believer, understand this. There is no condemnation. There is no negative verdict for the believer who puts their faith in Christ and there's truly no negative verdict that they should live or no negative feeling they should feel if they walk in the spirit and not in the flesh. So Paul elaborates this point in verse number two through verses, verses two through four. And we see in verse number two, the liberation of salvation. The liberation of salvation where Paul says, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. We could say it this way, because of Jesus' gift of salvation, the law of the spirit of life sets me free from the law of sin and death. The law of sin and death was, is a reality and, the, and it discourages me. Look at verse number uh, two, made me free from the law of sin and death. The, the, the law of sin and death discourages me. Sin and death are not an encouragement. Matter of fact, the phrase the law of sin and death is the law that Paul talked about in Romans chapter 7, verses 5 to 25. We don't have time to go back and read it or exposit it again. But, but here's the idea that the law, every time I look at the law, it reminds me that I am hopeless. It reminds me that I am a sinner. It reminds me that I am in a lost and desperate condition. Paul says, I, I didn't know coveting was wrong until I looked at the law. And the law said, thou shalt not covet. I, I didn't know that discouragement was wrong. I didn't know that cursing was wrong. I didn't know that theft was wrong. I didn't know that porn was wrong. I didn't know that any of these things were wrong until I looked at the law. And the law told me that it was wrong. All 413 commandments. The law is a discouragement. There's no doubt in my mind. I've been preaching 30 years. I've, for those of you that don't know, my dad's a pastor. I'm 50 years old. I've been in church every single Sunday of my life other than 14. I've missed 14 Sundays in 50 years. I know church. And I know this in my own heart, and I know it in people's hearts who come to church. And that is this, that often people come to church with a desire to kind of earn some favor with God or like, oh, I'll do my good thing for the week or for the month or for the year, whatever it is, however you want to phrase it, and I'll make sure that I go to church because this, this will kind of appease God. Or maybe you even say this way, this will just keep Pastor and Bernie happy and they won't call me next week and say, where were you? And, 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 and I'm going to do this because, or I'm not going to do this because. Here's the deal. Here's the reality, I should say. You trying to do good deeds and even doing good deeds is only temporary, and it proves at best the power of the law and sin and death. And sin and death discourage 
sin and death defeat. And Paul says in verse number two, look at it, the law of the spirit of life, for the law of the spirit of life in Christ hath made me free from the law of sin and death. We are born under the power of the law of sin and death. But, verse number two, look at the first part, the law of the spirit of life, it frees me. The law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free. Free from what? Free from the law of sin and death that we just talked about. The Holy Spirit, the third person, if you will, of the Trinity or the Godhead, regenerates every believing individual. Titus chapter three, verse number five, the Bible says this, not by works of righteousness, which we have done, but according to his mercy, he saved us by the washing of regeneration or making new, the washing of regeneration and renewing of the Holy Ghost. The Holy Spirit of God renews me, the spirit of life and frees me from the bondage of sin. The moment I repent of my sin and put my faith in Christ alone, the Holy Spirit Spirit of God sets me free from the bondage of sin and death. The moment I accept Christ, the law of the Spirit then denotes the power or the authority exercised by the Holy Spirit. And the Spirit exerts a liberating power through the work of Christ, through the work of Christ and takes us out of the realm of sin and the spiritual death to which sin inevitably leads. If you don't put your faith and trust in Christ, let me be very candid. You will live the entirety of your life in a position of sin and death. And then you will spend eternity in the place of sin and death called hell. If you reject Christ, if you live in a place of, you will live in a place that is filled with sin and death and your eternal destiny will be the place called hell, which is filled with sin and death. And the law liberates us or Jesus liberates us from that. The liberation of salvation. Well, liberation is explained in verses three and four. Now look at verse number three. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemned sin in the flesh. The liberation is explained. Paul is very thorough and it's imperative to remember that, that we are dealing with the beauty of the assurance of salvation and the expectation of heaven as our home. And he says here, for what the law could not do and that it was weak in the flesh. Here's what you need to understand. Doing good things will never be enough. Doing good things will never be enough. You might be a dad and you say, hey, I'm gonna take my family to church today. That'll make God happy. And, and maybe if my good works outweigh my bad works, then one day I could see God. And that'll never be enough. Doing good things is never gonna be enough. Well, I'm gonna be a loving spouse and a loving wife and I'm gonna cook for my kids and, and I'm gonna be nice to my husband and, and if I do all that, maybe that will be enough. No, no, it is totally impossible for your good works to bring salvation. Well, how do you, can you say that, Pastor? Well, Romans chapter three, verse number 20, the Bible says, therefore, by the deeds of the law shall no flesh be justified in his sight for by the law or doing good things is the knowledge of sin. You say, 
well, are you saying we shouldn't do good things? No, I'm not saying that we shouldn't do good things at all. We should do good things, but understand, doing good things will never be enough to save your soul. Romans chapter seven, verse number five. The Bible says, for when we were in the flesh, the motions of sin, which were by the law, did work in our members to bring forth fruit unto death. So what Paul is saying in Romans 7, 5 is that the more that I tried to prove how good I am, the more it gave evidence to the reality that I'm not good. Why? Because I would try to do good and then I would fail. Up, oh, proved I'm not good enough. And I'd try to do good again and fail. Up, oh, proved I'm not good enough then. And we live our entire life trying and failing and trying and failing and trying and failing. And the overarching principle of Romans chapter 7 is you you cannot earn your way to heaven. And neither can I. The Bible uses this phrase, verse number three. What the law, here's the phrase, could not do. It's a Greek word and it literally means it lacks the power to perform some action or purpose. It lacks the power to perform some action or purpose. It, it, it compounds that for what the law could not do, verse number three, in that it was weak through the flesh. The word weak means without strength. To be sick, to suffer from a disease. To be weak, to not have enough power. Power is super important. I mentioned earlier that we, I've got like two illustrations from Columbia, that we were in Columbia and our friend Chesley Howell, who's in our church for 12 years, uh, is getting married or is getting married and he's getting married at a finca. And now a finca is kind of what we would call a ranch house or a small farmhouse up in the hills outside of Medellin. They're all over Colombia, but they're kind of tourist attractions now. Not tourist attractions, but you could, you could go to, you could fly to Medellin and you could rent a finca for a, a few days or, or a few weeks for that matter. It's like the original Airbnb or whatever. And you could rent this thing. And you can stay there and they'll either, you'll rent a car and go get your own food or they'll bring food and supply it, whatever. It's really a kind of a cool thing. I really like them. And Chesley wanted to get married at a finca and he wanted to get married at a finca because he wanted one with a horse because his whole desire was after the wedding, he wanted to ride off into the sunset on a horse. Like, bro, did you think this through? What, what's she going to do in her dress? Like, jump up on it? And this is what he said to me when I told him that. He's like, well, she'll figure it out. <laughs> okay. And so they didn't ride off into the sunset. They rode around in a circle. I'm like, you did all this, and it's like a merry-go-round, dude. You could have just went to, you know, how many of you remember Kmart as a kid, put a quarter in the thing and go nowhere. You know, that's what you got. It's what you have there. But whatever. They wanted to go to this finca. So uh, Alex, uh, who's on, uh, he's doing the live stream today. Alex and I uh, have to go to the finca. And our bus, the roads are too narrow for the bus that we rented to take us there. And we had to arrive at different times. And so Alex and I, we... Uh, rented an Uber and the Uber takes us there. And, and, and I'm just telling you, you guys pray for him. Alex, my brother in Christ, I love him to death. I'd walk over hot coals for him and his family as long as I had shoes on. <laughs> love this dude to death. But he Ubered, he would get the smallest car possible. It was like SUV that a man can fit in and he would, and it would be like 40 cents more expensive. And he'd be like, no, we'll take the two cylinder Chevrolet. One time, we're coming back from a workout at, at the CrossFit gym in Medellin that was nearby. And there was four grown men in a two-cylinder Chevy. I'm not exaggerating when I tell you I could deadlift the car and that's what we're riding on. 
And so we write out there and that, well, the guys in our group were equally as cheap. You say, pastor, would you have paid for more? I would have. I even told Alex, I'll pay the extra 50 cents. Just get it. He's like, oh, pastor, I speak Spanish. You'll be fine. Let's speak in Spanish. Me the car bigger or me smaller. Sheesh. I love Spanish, but it doesn't have that kind of power. And so these other guys, we made it there because our driver knew where to go. Well, these other guys are coming behind us, a guy named Nate and a guy named Alex. And uh, they're coming and they're equally in, you know, like the little car that Mr. Incredible drove. And, and, and their driver turns early. And so he's got to go up some super steep hills. And when I say steep, I don't mean steep like Ulrich over here. I mean steep like the hill to a roller coaster in a two-cylinder Chevy with four grown men or three grown men in it. So their car starts going up the hill and they get about halfway up and it just starts bucking. It's like, and it starts going backwards. He's flooring it and it's going backwards. And so he stops the car and he says to them, hey guys, could you get out? This is what he said. I don't have the power to get up the hill. If you stay in here, we're not making it up the hill. So he stopped, they got out. They're like, oh, we'll walk to the top of the hill and he'll pick us up. So they get out, they start walking up the hill. He gets to the top of the hill, dude takes off on him. <laughs> they had to walk the rest of the way to the Finca. They actually went to a lady's house. They're like, hey, we don't even know how to get there. She said, come on. And she, she put him in her car or big truck and they made it there. The point is this, it just didn't have the power. Here's the point about the law. Here's the point about your good deeds. Here's the point about your good works. Here's the point about trying to earn your salvation. It's never going to be enough. Well, I'll, I'll be good enough now. I, this is what people tell me all the time. I'm tired of messing up. I know God's not happy with it. So I'm going gonna, I'm gonna to quit doing drugs and, 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 and I'll, just, I'll, I'll ultimately be okay. I've had people say, if my good deeds or my good works outweigh my bad works, then I'm going to be fine. No, no, no. Your works do not, here's verse three, do not have the power to save you. Well, I'm not that bad. No, no, no. You're now testifying to the reality that you're putting your faith in your works and they could not, do not have the power to free you because they are weak in the flesh. Well, I'm not that bad. Well, I'm not here to say that you're good or bad. That's not my call. That's God's call. But let's assume that you're good. You're still weak. And even your good deeds cannot save you because they're weak in the flesh. That's what Paul says. No matter how many, even if we were to assume, which we shouldn't, but just to assume that you're a really great person, best person who ever lived, I've been baptized. Pastor Smith baptized me in the creek outside our church. It's in the holler in West Virginia when I was seven. Great. But baptism will not save you. Because it's weak. It does not have the power to save. And that's what Paul is helping us to understand in verse number three. For what the law could not do, 
Well, I'll take a mission trip with you, Pastor, and we'll go to Colombia, or we'll go to Honduras, or we'll go to Africa, we'll go to Ethiopia, Uganda, Senegal, all, all countries we'll be going to uh, in the next couple of years. We'll go back to Cambodia, Thailand, Vietnam with you. We'll, we'll, we'll do work. We'll give money. Awesome. Great. Won't save you. Why? It's weak. Well, but I'm way better than my neighbor. Doesn't matter how much better you are than your neighbor or your spouse or your brother or your friend or some dude that's a jerk that you know. The reality is good works aren't strong enough to carry the weight of your sin. And neither are mine. It's a universal reality for all mankind. You couldn't do it. Because it's weak. You pay your taxes, great. You drive the speed limit, that's a lie. No, you don't. You live in California. (laughs) You stop cursing, you should. It's a sin. You take your kids to church, that's right. You need to make sure they're here. You read through the Bible every year, great. Not good enough. You join Faith Bible Institute at Canyon Range Baptist Church, wonderful. Not enough. You quit your job and you move to a difficult mission field to help build houses, wonderful. Not enough. You tithe, wonderful. Not enough. Not enough. Here's what Paul is saying in in modern day vernacular. No matter how many good things you do, it'll never be enough to earn your salvation. Because good works don't have the power to change a condemned soul. Well, I'm not condemned. Oh, no. John chapter three, verse number 36. He that believes on the Son hath everlasting life. He that believeth not the Son shall not see life, but the wrath of God abideth on him. The word abideth is a present tense verb. God's wrath abides on you. The creator of the universe, this is not me trying to be unkind. This is me trying to be as kind as I possibly can. God's wrath abides on people who don't know Christ as their savior. And no amount of good works will take you from that place to a place of acceptance with God. Well, what then do I do? If I'm not enough, what do I do? Well, look at the verse. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh and for sin condemns sin in the flesh. Doing good deeds is never enough, but let me tell you this, Jesus is more than enough. Jesus is more than enough. You're trying to do good. You're trying to earn favor. And I'm thankful that you're a nice dude or a nice lady. And you're trying to do good. And you're trying to appease God. Uh, and, 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 and you're trying everything that you can, but it's never going to work. So is the situ- situation hope, hopeless? No. Why? Verse number three. Because God is the author of salvation. Notice what the verse says. God sending his own son. God sent Jesus. Salvation is not something that a bunch of men sat in a room and said, what are we going to do about our sin? Oh, let's come up with salvation. No, the very heart of God is to save sinners. God sent Jesus for us. 
That's why the Bible says in John 3, 16, God so loved the world that he gave or sent his only begotten son that whosoever believeth in him should not perish but have everlasting life. Hebrews chapter 12, verse number two says, looking unto Jesus, the author, the, the originator, the, the source, the author and the finisher, the completer of our faith. And then it describes the suffering of Christ on the cross who for the joy that was set before him endured the cross, despised the shame and is set down at the right hand of the throne of God. Jesus is enough. God sent Jesus as a man in the likeness of sinful flesh. Jesus had a real physical body. He wasn't a hologram. He wasn't a fake. He was, he, he was who he claimed to be, the literal second person of the Trinity. Matter of fact, as a 95-year-old man, the apostle John who met Jesus when he was 17 was the disciple he is called whom Jesus loved. He and Jesus had a special relationship. Says in his, in his um, epistle to the churches in 1 John chapter 1, verse number 1, that which was from the beginning, which we have heard, John says, I I heard him with our with my ears, which we have seen. I saw him with my eyes, which we have looked upon, or I gazed upon him, and our hands have handled. He said, literally, I, I touched him, I physically held him uh, uh, of the word of life. John is saying this, Jesus is a real person. He wasn't an imagination. He wasn't a hologram. He wasn't just somebody's conjured up idea. No, he is absolutely a real person, and he's more than enough for your salvation. Notice what he did. God sent him in the likeness of sinful flesh, just like us is what that means. And for sin, God sent him to defeat sin. And this is what Jesus did. He condemned sin in the flesh. That literally means he judged sin guilty. Remember the word condemned, a negative sentence passed upon? Jesus passed a sentence upon sin that it no longer has authority over the person who puts their faith and trust in Christ. How did Jesus defeat that? He died on the cross. And according to 1 John 1, 7, the blood of Jesus Christ, his son, cleanses us from all sin. Jesus condemned sin by dying for sin and his blood washes away all our sin. The law of double jeopardy states that a man can't be tried twice for the same crime. So since Jesus paid the penalty for your sin, if you are in Christ, God will not condemn you. God has found sin to no longer have power over the believer to condemn you. Well, verse number four helps us to understand liberation's impact or the impact of being free from our sin, that the righteousness, verse number four, that the righteousness of the law might be fulfilled in us who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. Liberation's impact. Not I'm free to do what I want any old time, as the anthem of the 80s would say. I'm free to live a life of righteousness. It's used here in its most usual meaning as a righteous requirement. I'm free to live in glorious righteousness for Christ. It's fulfilled in us by the Holy Spirit who lives within us. 
the moment that you trust Christ as your Savior, or if you're a believer, according to the book of Ephesians, chapter 1, verse number 13, the Bible says you are sealed with the Holy Spirit of promise. The, the very instant that you accept Christ is the instant the Holy Spirit of God moves inside of you, and your body becomes the temple of the Holy Ghost, which the Bible says is in you, which you have of God, and you're not your own, you're bought with a price. That's why when you're like, I don't care what the Bible says, I'm doing my thing. Bro, really? You're not your own. You're bought with a price. Therefore, glorify God in your body, the Bible goes on to say, and in your spirit, which are God's. Liberation's impact is we get to live righteously. The law could not become flesh and live within us. Jesus became flesh. Jesus fulfilled the law. And through the Holy Spirit, Jesus lives inside of us. And we are now dead indeed unto sin. Romans chapter 6, verse number 11. Likewise, reckon ye also yourselves to be dead indeed unto sin. I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't have to be a bum anymore. I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't have to ignore my family. I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't have to get stoned every night. I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't view porn anymore because I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, we could make the analogies just continue and continue and continue. Bring the verse back up. Because, because I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive unto God. I don't have to have that crappy attitude that's affecting everybody around me and bringing everybody down. Because I'm dead to sin, but I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I don't have to live in a state of defeat and depression because I'm dead to that, but I'm alive unto God through Jesus Christ our Lord. I mean, there's this life changing for the believer. Powerful. I'm dead to sin. I'm dead to self. Romans chapter 8, verse number 10. And if Christ be in you, the body is dead because of sin, but the spirit is life because of righteousness. Verse number 11 of Romans chapter 8 in your text. But if the spirit of him that raised up Jesus from the dead dwell in you, he that raised up Christ from the dead shall also quicken your mortal bodies by his spirit that dwelleth in you. You say, I want all that. Okay, the key is really the second word. It's the first preposition uh, in verse number 11. If, this, if, if the spirit of him that raised up Christ from the dead dwell in you. Are you saved? Do you know Christ is your savior? Have you repented of your sin and trusted Jesus? salvation and assurance of salvation is not freedom to do whatever it is that you want to do. It's freedom from the bondage and the control of sin and the joy of living in the light that is in Christ Jesus our Lord. Prior to Christ, you live in a state of bondage. Now, one of the great difficulties that I face in life, and I think about this all the time, one of the great difficulties I face in life is how do I take this super deep, complex truth and make it understandable to people who come? It's a passion of mine. It's a calling of mine. And, it, and in some ways, it's my job, though I haven't done my job for a month, so I'm unemployed. Um, but, but it really is. So, so I, I, I often sit in my office and I go, okay, how do I take this and make this understandable to a fifth grader 
uh, simple enough for a fifth grader and deep enough for a theologian. How do I do that? And so this week was not dissimilar from other weeks. So I, I've got some guys to help me, uh, Bernie and John. You say, why'd you pick Bernie and John? Because they were in the office. That's why. If you were in the office, you would have been there too. So I want to illustrate this truth that I think is helpful. Every good illustration needs Satan. So this is kind of corny. Oh, my, my Satan's coming off Satan's shirt. I wish Satan would just come off altogether. That'd be great. Okay, I got it, I got it. You don't want to mess that one up. Those are the biggest safety pins ever. Hold your femur together. All right, there you go. You got Satan. Now, now John represents... There you go, that's Satan, all right? Now, John represents me and you. You're John, okay? God help us. But John is, John is mankind, okay? John's mankind, just, just so you understand, John's mankind. John's not John, John's all of us, all right? So before salvation... We were bound. Okay. I'm a chaplain. I know how to use these. Okay. This is, I'm just trying to share like a really deep theological truth in a, in a simple way. But this really is the idea of being bound. Being bound literally means, literally means, the Bible talks about this in Romans, it literally means being tied up, handcuffed. I was going to use rope and stuff, but I, I, I just thought that'd be weird. So, because handcuffs are normal uh, in church. You didn't tithe last week? No, I'm just teasing. Um, we're bound. Now, look at the text, verse number four, or verse number three. For what the law could not do in that it was weak through the flesh, God sending his own son in the likeness of sinful flesh, condemned sin in the flesh. Okay, verse number two. For the law of the spirit of life in Christ Jesus has made me free from the law of sin and death. Okay, verse number one. There is now therefore no condemnation to them which are in Christ Jesus who walk not after the flesh, but after the spirit. So there is condemnation to the people who walk after the flesh. And this is the condemnation. This is the bondage. Well, well, what do you mean, pastor? Well, let me illustrate this way. Like you're bound and you're bound to sin. Well, like, like, like sin? Yeah, like this. Like anger. Like some of you can get so angry at the drop of a hat, it's unfathomable. If you don't think that's where America is today, I'm telling you, you know, and going all over the world, I think the, one of the great sins of America, listen to me, is anger. YouTube has not been a friend to some people who blow up at a 16-year-old McDonald's employee because they didn't get enough pickles on their Big Mac.
he, I see a lot of heads going to the ground, so I'll just stay here for a while. If you want me to move on, you look at me. If you look down at the ground, I'll just stay and let us think about it. We get ticked. And here's what some people say. Well, nobody knows that I'm angry. Anger doesn't have to be expressed to be anger. It's still anger. And we blow up. And the Bible says in the book of Proverbs, he that is soon angry dealeth foolishly. And a man that has no rule over his own spirit is like a city that is broken down without walls. And before Christ, we're just controlled by that. And every time, every time Satan wants to move us, all he's got to do is tug us a little bit with anger. And he proves that he can take us anywhere he wants us to go. But it's not just anger. Depression? Now, before you think I'm being unkind, I've struggled with depression in the past. And what I found from my own deep depression was this, that it was uh, anger turned inward. And I was just mad because situations didn't go well. And so for me, it was I sat in a chair and I ate bags of Fritos and drank liters of Mountain Dew. And I went from about 230 to 300 pounds. It was just depression because I didn't get what I wanted. Situations didn't turn out for me like they could have. I, I, I was negative to my kids. I wasn't involved when Judith and Natalie for about a two-year period when they were like 10 and 12 because everything had to center around me. And I wanted what I wanted. I talked to somebody recently very close to me I love with all my heart, soul, and mind. I, I, I talked to them recently and they said growing up, their parent, uh, one of their parents really struggled with depression and would come in the house and go to a back room and just sit and read books all day and left the person there to simply uh, kind of raise themselves. And this is what they said. said, I've come to realize that my parents' depression was more important than I was. And every time Satan wanted to do something with him, he just kind of tugs him. And there it is, beck and call. He can move them. Why? Because they're bound. They're bound. If you don't think you're bound, think about it this way. Um, th there might be an addiction to social media in your life and, and, and being bound to that. He, here's what often happens, that you'll ha be having a great day and you'll get on social media and they'll put something on about the news and boy, it just fires you up and anger and depression begin to take over. Or, or um, they'll put something on about uh, how much money you should have or the kind of car that you'll never own or the kind of house you'll never live in or whatever. And you just suddenly wallow in that. Why is that? Because you're bound to, to Satan and he, and he just has control. There's addiction. Oh, we could say it this way. Some people are addicted to depression and some people are addicted to anger. We could have put drama in here because this is a, 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 ladies often struggle with this more than men do. You're addicted to drama. If you don't have drama, you'll create drama. 
It's not funny, it's horrible. Because you know if you're going to be around them, there's going to be drama. They just got to have drama. They just create it. And, and it might not even be spoken drama. It could just be this like, which one? No. They don't have back problems because they're always stretching their neck. They're just addicted. Oh, before we go too far, um, the, the self-medications that America, I, I read something the other day, one-third of our country self-medicates with some type of drug. One-third. There's over 300, right at 350 million people in America. That means about 112, 113 million people in America are, are, are just addicted to something. And, and this, is, this is what's happening. This is what's happening. I have no bones about saying this, is that Satan's just like, bro, you're coming with me. 70 million people live homeless in gross addiction in America. Um, 70% of them live in the state of California. You see it when you, before you come into this property. You see it when you leave this property. You see it on your way home. You see it everywhere. And, and, and what, it is, what is it? Satan. Oh, but it's not just Satan. Some of you are addicted to, to, to social media. Look at your social media usage. For, for some of you, it's, it, it's like nine hours a day. Bro, you're on Facebook nine hours a day and you think this is healthy? You're on Twitter, you're on TikTok for nine hours a day? I don't know why I'm depressed. I don't know why I'm always angry. Oh. And, and some of you really are. You're addicted to anger. I've had the wonderful joy of, of counseling hundreds and thousands of people over the 30 years in, in ministry that I've had. Since I was 20, I had to do the math in my head real quick. It has been 30 years. Uh, or right at 30 years. And um, I've had people tell me, I wake up and figure out what to be mad about that day. Because there's an addiction to it. Some of you are addicted to spending. That's why you have so much debt that you just can't deal with. We, we could talk about like 50,000 other things. Let's talk about one. Oh, because we want to be gracious to everyone. Some of you are addicted to food. You can't walk by a taco without wanting it. Or in my case, a corn dog. <laughs> I love corn dogs. I went to the North Shore with Judith, my oldest daughter who lives in Kailua, Hawaii. We were at the North Shore in January and we're driving back the beautiful back way and I drive by this thing that said world, we, we drove past it and I saw it as I drove past because there wasn't a billboard to tell you on the way up and it said world's greatest corn dogs. 
man, I hit the emergency brake on that 2002 light blue Nissan Sentra. I did a power turn. I went back and I bought a giant corn dog. And let me tell you, the lady said, you want mustard or honey? I said, you could have honey on a corn dog. Before you think that's gross, let me just stop and tell you right now, that's what we're having in heaven forever. I took one bite of that and I was like, oh, sweet home, Alabama. I'm never leaving this place. And I just sat there just like, Dad, we got to go. We can't go. We can't go. We, we, we are at the throne of grace. We are never leaving here. Some of you are just addicted to food. You might binge, but you purge. And nobody knows. But you know. And this is all Satan has to do. Chili's got endless fries now. You see, there's a fountain drink over there with like 4 million calories in it. Dive in. And you're just addicted. Oh, we haven't talked about your sin. Okay, because you don't struggle with any of those? Great, no problem. We thought of you. Your sin. What's your sin? Whatever it is. It's yours. You might not struggle with the ones we thought of. I, 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 I meant to put bitterness right here because it, it's, it's universal. But it's your sin. It's whatever the one you struggle with is. And this is what Paul is saying in Romans chapter 8. Paul is saying this. That before Christ, you're controlled by Satan and you're under the bondage of Satan and he'll do with you whatever he chooses to do with you. Two weeks ago, I was in Cambodia and I was seated on the fourth row back. I was at Pacific Baptist Church, Phnom Penh, which is outside the city a little bit. We were, Bern and I were there and our wives and Debbie and Leslie and and uh, I was sitting in the fourth row because the missionary told me that's where I could get the most wind, wind from the fans. He said, you pick your seat. I said, where's the, where's the coolest place in this, this inferno? Because literally we had service on the face of the sun. They don't have air conditioning. It was about 95 degrees outside, about 70% humidity, and there were about 300 people inside this small auditorium. And so it was even hotter. So I just wanted to be as close as I could to the fan. And so we just sit there. We're having a good time with the people. We don't speak the language, but literally people know that we love them, and I, they know, I know that they love us. So we had great fellowship. And many of them spoke English. We had a, we had a wonderful time. And, and uh, I noticed in front of me a couple and a man that had tattoos in really the most odd of places. And I knew he was a faithful follower of Jesus Christ. And so I, I wasn't sure what was going on. So uh, the next day we went to the killing fields and we did some other stuff. And then on Tuesday, we flew to Bangkok and uh, we're just hanging out in Bangkok and Bernie wanted to see a temple that was there in Bangkok. And so we, it wasn't far from the hotel we were staying in. So uh, we walked over there and as we're walking through uh, the, the Buddhist temple, uh, our missionary day board is explaining to us things that go on and the symbolism and all of that. And then he said, hey, you remember that guy that was sitting in front of you? And I'm like, oh, yeah, I meant to ask you about that. And, and you remember his wife? Oh, yeah, I, yeah, I was going to ask you about that. He goes, can I tell you their story? And we're like, absolutely, man, tell us the story. 
He said, well, that man was an extremely wealthy man in Cambodia, and that's rare. I mean, it's rare here, but it's really rare there. They said he owned properties, he owned houses, he had lots of cash, and he owned several vehicles. And if you own a vehicle in Cambodia, you're wealthy. And if you own several vehicles, you're at the highest of echelons in the country. And he said, and he's there, and they're a Buddhist family. And his wife was possessed by a demon or demons. Now, you may say, oh, pastor, you can't believe that. Oh, I believe that 100%, and I believe there's people possessed in America today. Absolutely, I believe that. You'd be foolish not to think that. The Bible is very clear about that over and over and over again, and we have it here. We, we just put people on drugs to try to keep them calm or, or whatever, but, but absolutely. And he said she would go through fits of rage and violence, and they knew it. And so this man and, and, and his wife would go to different witch doctors all over Cambodia, Thailand, and Vietnam to try to get her released from the demon. Because here's the lie of Satan. The lie of Satan is if you're possessed by a demon, go to a witch doctor and maybe you'll be possessed by a more powerful demon and then that demon will set you free. So if you, this is the witch doctor's line. If you come to me, I think I can, I can cast the demon out. And so Satan's great lie is the same in America is that they would go and the demon would, would, would pray to Satan, literally to Satan, like, like no bones about it. They would pray to demons and Satan, and then the lady would be better for a couple of days, and then the familiar spirit would come back on her, and she'd be possessed all over again. Well, in the process, they would pay this witch doctor thousands of dollars, and over the course of her her demonic possession, which lasted, I believe it was 14 years, uh, over that 14-year period, they went through every single dime that they basically had. Well, they had to move down the street from Pacific Baptist Church back when it was downtown and it wasn't in the nicest of areas. The man still had a good job, but they had lost all of their savings and everything. And they were basically living paycheck to paycheck. Somebody invited this lady to church and she said, well, I've tried every other witch doctor in this part of the world. I might as well try this one concerning Jesus to be a witch doctor. She'd never heard the gospel in her life. She had been an intense practicing Buddhist trying to be delivered from demonic possession. And she comes to church the first time on what is called a celebration Sunday when they have all their village churches come in and they meet together and they're all in one building and she hears the gospel of Jesus Christ for the very first time. And she walks outside after the service and she accepts Jesus Christ as her personal Lord and Savior. And to hear her testimony today, she said, this is exactly what happened. As soon as I accepted Jesus Christ, I was freed from the bondage of darkness that was in my life. And the missionary said, no, 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 like, like how long did it take? And she said, oh, pastor, no, 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 it was immediate. 
She said, I had lived for darkness and in darkness my entire life. I was bound by demons for 14 years and I heard the gospel and I immediately understood that it was the truth and I accepted Jesus Christ right then and I was immediately freed from the bondage of sin. And this is what she says. Now, hold on, I need you to not be Satan anymore. Okay? I need you to be the Holy Spirit, which is a bigger stretch than Satan. She said this, now I live every day in the freedom that is in Christ alone. Every day. And she went home and in her right mind, in her right mind, she told her husband and her husband, because they had seen this a couple of times of her being good for a day or two as far as like not being uh, traumatized by this demon that was inside of her. The husband's like, we want to give it some time. They gave it Monday, Tuesday, Wednesday. The next Sunday, the man was in church, the husband was in church, and the husband said, if Jesus can heal my wife of the demon, then he can save my soul too. And he immediately trusted Jesus Christ as their savior. And their daughter trusted Jesus Christ as her savior. And now the whole family, they're not perfect by any means, but they live in freedom. They live in absolute freedom. Here's what Satan Satan wants you to think. Satan wants you to think that living for Jesus is all about rules and all about doing this or that. Wait a second, bro. What do you think being bound by anger is? Some of your marriages are so jacked up because you're just the most angry jerk the world has ever seen. And you think like, I'm not doing what Jesus says. I'll do my thing. I want to be free. Free to what? Free to be bound by anger? Are you kidding me? My husband is such a loser. He's just such a jerk. I don't know why I married him. If I had to do it over again, I'd have never went on a date with him. I'd have stabbed him in the eye when I had a chance. And you're just, you're just waiting for that. I don't know why God gave me kids. I wish I was all alone. You, is, that, is that freedom? I'm free. I could quit this drug whenever I want. Oh, wait. It's legal, Pastor. I mean, I just smoke when I need it. I just need it all the time. It's healthier than alcohol. I mean, it's just another burrito. And Pastor, you say that 
when we go to heaven, the primary food will be Mexican. So I'm just preparing for heaven. Because I've got a credit account at every taco shop in my neighborhood. That freedom. That's freedom to you. My kids walk around the house and they're just very careful because they don't want mama to get upset. Because if mama gets upset, she's going to cuss us out. That's freedom. Is that freedom to you? I just got to go home after work and sit in a dark room, watch Twilight and read Stephen King. Everything in life is bad. I just got to get through the day so I can go home and watch another horror movie. Just another satanic, ungodly, hate-filled, violent murderous, addictive, abusive, rape-filled horror movie will get me through the day. That's, that's freedom to you? No, no, that, that's freedom to you? Oh, I just can't wait to get home. I got notified on YouTube of like three new porn sites with new material and I've seen everything. I just hope there's something. Oh. You old people won't get this, but other people will. I just got to go home and jack off to something. Hey, bro, you want to go, go out with us? We're going we're gonna to go to Bible study. We're going to go, you know, get some tacos. We're going to go work out together. Uh, we're going to do Faith Bible Institute together. You, you want to come with us? I'd like to, but I got something I really got to do. That, that's freedom to you? That, that's freedom to you? I just, I just got to make another dollar. Just let me make one more dollar. If I could just make one more dollar. So, so I'm going to just keep working and working and working. Hey, bro, why don't you go on a mission trip with us? I, I'd love to. I just got to make one more dollar. Hey, bro, why don't you, uh, why don't you come to men's retreat with us? I, I just can't take off of work. Why, why, don't, why, don't, why don't you come to a special outreach event called Proclaim and tell the world about Jesus Christ? Yeah, I I. I, I freedom. <laughs> really? See, Satan's a liar and he doesn't care how he has to lie to you. 
It could be addiction, it could be anger, it could be depression, it could be your sin that multiplies in my message. Um, But this is what he knows. See, because all he can do, all he is capable of doing is stealing from you, destroying you, and killing you. And Jesus Christ came that you could be free, that you might have life and life more abundantly. And some of you are here today and we've been like, hey, do you know for sure if you died, you go to heaven? You're like, no, I I know that if I died, I, I would go to hell. I'd spend eternity in hell. Well, why don't you accept Jesus Christ today? And here's what many of you have said. I'm just not ready. You're not ready to be free? You're not ready to be free? You'd rather just live in your sin? So that you have to shut the door and turn on lights and, or, or turn off the lights and turn on music so nobody hears what you're doing in your house and you lock the door and you put a, a, a bed in front or a chair in front of the door just because you're, you're, you're so concerned that somebody might see what's going on in your room? You call that freedom? I call that bondage. Let me tell you what freedom is. Hey, you want to inspect my life? Come on. You want to see my life? Come on. He's not as vulnerable as I am because he's weird, but you can watch him too. I'm free. I'm free. You say, Pastor, what do you think about what's going on in the world? Yeah, it stinks. What are you going to do about it? Tell people about Jesus. Why? Because he's the only one who can free people from their sin. Well, don't you think we need to get a Republican in the White House? I don't know that that's really going to matter all that much. We had one in there like three years ago. It didn't seem like we had revival in America. So what are we going to do? We're going to proclaim gospel throughout all of San Diego so that people can hear the gospel of Jesus Christ. I'm going to tell you that Jesus Christ loves you enough that he left heaven and came to earth to die for the sin of mankind. And if you will put your faith and trust in him, he'll free you from that and give you a life of joy and peace and satisfaction if you'll trust him. I was tired when I started, but that five-hour energy kicked in about 10 minutes ago. (laughs) Oh. Martin Luther King Jr. said that the Washington Monument, free at last, free at last, Thank God Almighty, we are free at last. I appreciate what Dr. King did and the freedom that so many people have that never had it before. The political freedom, the social freedom, I'm thankful for that, no doubt about it. So what I'm saying is not negative to him at all. But let me tell you this, true freedom is not political freedom. It's not freedom from bondage. We saw slaves in Cambodia a couple weeks ago. It's not even freedom from slavery. True freedom is knowing that I am saved, my sins are forgiven, and my eternal destiny is settled because of the finished work of Jesus Christ on the cross. If you're here today and you don't know Christ, don't you want to be free? Trust Christ today. Father, bless our time in the Word. Thank you for listening. 
Find more messages every week at CanyonRidgeBaptist.com. If you're in the San Diego area, join us for a service. We meet at 8.30 a.m., 10.30 a.m., and 5 p.m.